Welcome to the Money Shop Podcast, episode number seven. I'm pretty sure it's seven. Let's say that. Today, we're going to be talking all about how to get started with investing. So let's get on with it. You're listening to the Money Shop Podcast with your host, Damien Fogg, making personal finance and investing easy to understand, less intimidating, and even bordering on fun. So we're going to be looking at how you can practically get started with investing. Now, we're not going to dwell too much on the why, more of the how, but we should probably cover off a little bit why you should bother and why it's important to invest. Now, in the simplest of terms, you kind of just have to. Shit's really expensive and it's getting more expensive. So at some point you're going to retire, whether that's from your job or your own company. Final salary pensions don't really exist anymore, so you've got to sort it all out yourself. In fact, most people listening to this are probably already invested in the stock market, and you possibly don't even know it. Most workplace pensions, those things that just take money out of your salary each month, they'll be invested in the stock market, amongst other things, in some way. Usually pretty badly, but... So you have already started investing in the stock market. If you're self-employed then you might just be shit out of luck unless you can build a real business that can be sold or that can continue on while you're fully retired, still giving you the income that you want. You're just going to have to get started with investing probably sooner rather than later, even though it might seem like a boring way to spend some of your money. So if we can all just agree, it's pretty important to actually invest and starting as soon as you can in a sensible way is probably a good thing. If you disagree with that, maybe you should stop listening to this episode because I'm assuming that you're on board with this shit. So if you're just getting started, how should you actually go about doing it? Now, this podcast and me, in fact, if you hadn't guessed from the accent, is targeted more for a UK audience. Probably the most sensible way to invest is through an ISA. Now, everything is going to be a probably because I'm not a financial advisor. This isn't financial advice, all that good stuff. But an ISA is a really good account, that's what the A stands for, that the government has set up for people that is completely tax-free. And it's not often that we get given stuff that's tax-free from the government, so you should definitely take advantage of this. If you were paying attention to last week's episodes, hopefully you've built yourself up a bit of a cash reserve. You might have used a cash ISA for that, in which case, well done you. But even if you've got a cash ISA, you can still invest in a stocks and shares ISA as well. The way to do it, you can just go to your local high street bank. You could probably speak to whoever you do bank with, whether it's a building society or a bank. They will have their own versions of stocks and shares ISAs. For the most part, they're a little bit shit. Barclays, I think from memory, used to have quite a good one. But most of them, they've only got about eight different funds you can choose from. And they're not that great. They're quite expensive. So I wouldn't bother. You'd probably better off going online and looking for just google online brokers online share brokers something like that they're generally going to be the cheapest option to go for but do have a search around and have a look at fees and everything somebody in my group the other day was talking about td direct there's another one charles stanley i think it is but personally i use hargreaves lansdowne 
which from memory is just hl.co.uk. They, I don't think they are the cheapest out there, but I've just used them for ages. I'm pretty comfortable with their platform. They've got lots of different investment options to choose from. It just suits me. I'm not recommending them and I don't get anything if you do go and sign up with them, but it's what I've used and I quite like it. The first step then is to sign up for one of these broker accounts. You can do it all online. You can sign up for a stocks and shares account. Um, and I think they're usually like 100 quid maybe is the minimum starting funding. I know for a cash ISA, it can be as low as a pound, but I think for stocks and shares, they do up the limit a little bit. So don't know off the top of my head what Hargreaves Lansdowne is, but let's assume it's 100 quid. I don't know. Sign yourself up. There's bound to be forms to fill out and possibly things to sign, but from memory, you can do it all online nowadays. And then just fund it. So you're just going to transfer some money from your bank and you're up and away. You're almost an investor. Now, this podcast is obviously talking about how to start investing. So it is aimed more at the people just starting out. On that basis, if you are just getting started, you probably don't want to confuse yourself right now with 8,000 different funds to choose from. You want to keep the number of funds you invest to, to a minimum, really. There's not much point paying in, I think, less than £500 as a lump sum into a fund. Or if you're doing it on a monthly basis, probably less than £50 a month. When you start looking at the fees and the cost of transactions, it's just not really worth putting in £5 a month here and there. Depending on where you are, how much you can save each month, it might be sensible to just literally have one fund that you put a lump sum in or that you invest in on a monthly basis and just wait until that builds up to a decent size. So let's just use those numbers. If you've got £500 to invest, cool, stick that in a fund. If you've got 50 quid a month to invest you might just pay into a fund for, say, a year, build that up to £600, assuming it doesn't move, which hopefully it will. But once you've got that £600 in that fund, that's when you might choose to then go and choose... I said choose a lot then in that sentence. That's when you may decide... Yes, mm, new words. The fuck was I saying? Oh, yeah. So if you've got 600 quid saved up in one fund, that's when you might add another fund into the mix... And then for the next year, put £50 into that other fund and then slowly build up that way. So you, you've you got your asset allocation, your portfolio that you want long term, but you're just not in a position to stick all the money into all the things all at once. Just do it one at a time and don't try and put £5 into that fund, £3 into that fund, £16 into that one. It's just a bit of a ball ache, to be honest. So I wouldn't do that if I were you. Now, seeing as you're just getting started with it, have a play around with the platform. I know Hargreaves Lansdowne quite well, so I like the fund platform and I like how they do the research and stuff, but it's all much of a muchness. Just have a fiddle around. You can usually search by what type of fund and what sectors they invest in. Just literally have a play. There will be loads of guides and investment news and updates and shit like that on all of them. If you're interested, you can get started just reading them that will start giving you a feel for what's happening in the market and who are good fund managers and who are bad ones. Probably not bad ones because they just get told off if they call people bad. But it'll give you some idea and some indication of what's going on in the market and what you can and might want to actually do. But do remember, all of their research sections and stuff like that, it's not financial advice on their part. Just like everything I'm saying isn't financial advice. I don't know your individual circumstances, so I can't give you it. Neither can they. They're just writing a report that says, this has happened. 
this is an option for you to invest in it. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. I don't know. So both of us are just trying to educate you on what is possible, what you could do. If it's right for you, that's something you need to decide. And you need to then speak to a professional who could actually hold your hand and say, yeah, this is the best thing you should do. We'll figure it out together. It's really on you to make sure it's right for you. Now, when I was first getting started, I I did just go for one fund. And the fund I went for was the cheapest UK stock market tracker fund that I could find at the time. And I, I can't remember the numbers, but I think it was around the, I think it was about £75 a month I started saving. I was pretty young. I'm geeky as fuck, so I've been doing this for ages. I was still in university, I know that much. But I just put £75 as a standing order to go in every single month. And I found the cheapest way to buy, effectively, a little bit of the entire UK economy. Now, from memory, it was HSBC's fund, but there's loads of them to choose from. Uh, people like iShares, Vanguard, Legal in General, they usually feature in the top, and by top, I mean cheapest, uh, UK tracker funds. They basically all do the same thing anyway. So they will track the share price of UK companies. Now, some of them just focus on the biggest 100. Some of them will focus on the next biggest 250. Some of them focus on both of those, so they'll be called a FTSE 350 tracker. Some of them track all of the shares, and so literally they are called FTSE All Share Trackers. They're not very inventive with names. Now, there are different pros and cons to each of them, FTSE 100, 350, 250, All Share. You can even start getting down into mid-caps, which will be the... So caps just means capitalization, which is the overall value of the company. Going off slight tangent there, but whatever. You can also invest in small caps, which are smaller companies, funnily enough. Pros and cons to each, and that's where you really get a benefit of speaking to a professional who can help you figure out which is going to be best for you. There are, as I say, there are pros and cons to all of them, so it's not like one of them is always going to be the best option. It just changes depending on what your goals are. But for me, when I first started, I just picked one of them, which was the All Share Tracker, I think. It was either All Share or the FTSE 100, but it was just one individual fund. And then I invested a small lump sum that I had. And then I just set up that standing order to pay in every single month. Every month I was buying a little bit more of that fund. And I also set it up so that any dividends I received, they were going to get reinvested back into that fund. And that was it. So over the period of several years, I was slowly building up more and more allocation, shares, whatever you want to call it, in this fund that owned a little bit of all of the companies in the UK. So when the UK did generally quite well, my share price, my fund price went up as well. Now, because I was starting in about 2000, 2001, it was a bit of a rocky road. We had sort of just come out of the dot-com bubble crash. There was It was all over the place. But generally speaking, from when I started investing to it to now, it's gone up in value, which is nice. So when you're talking about numbers like that, I mean, 50 quid, well, what did I say? It was 75 I was paying, wasn't it? So let's just work this out. 75 over, it's been 17 years now. So I've probably paid in around 15,000 pounds. I mean, that's a complete lie because I've definitely changed how much I pay in. But if I had just left it at that, I would have paid in about 15,000. Realistically speaking, I would have currently, I imagine, I've not checked, probably should, but I can't be asked. 
I would expect the value of the fund that I hold now, having put in 15,000, to be probably around the 22, 23,000 pound mark. So it's not setting the world on fire. I can't retire off that shit, but it's gone up in value much more than if I'd put it in a bank account, much more than if I'd just left it under the bed. So it's it's definitely not been the best performing asset class I could have invested in over those 16 years, but it's it's done quite well for me. And that's, I suppose, what we're trying to get to here. We're not trying to look for, well, we are, but we're not realistically chasing the absolute best performing asset class every single year, every single month, whatever you want to talk about. That's too much like hard work. Nobody can do that. The professionals who do this for a living and are paid millions, if not hundreds of millions, can't do it. So why do you think you might be able to? So given that we can't pick the absolute best performing one all of the time, the next best option after that is to just be invested in pretty much everything. So when something does do really well, you've got at least some exposure to that. So that's kind of the principle of a tracker share. Let's say the FTSE 100, that owns all 100 companies, the biggest companies in the UK. If one of them does ridiculously well, spectacularly well, and becomes I don't know, the first trillion pound company in the world, you would be much better off owning the shares in that company and watching it massively grow. But because there's 100 to choose from, you've got a 1% chance of picking that company. If you own the FTSE 100, yeah, okay, it's a little bit diluted, but you will benefit from the growth of that one company doing really well. So what you're doing by having a tracker is you're spreading your bets a little bit, hedging them as to you don't know which company's going to do really well. So fuck it, buy all of them. And historically, overall, the stock market does go up. So I think the UK stock market has gone up, it's five, five and a half percent, but that's above inflation over the past 50, 100 years, since about 1900. So over the long run, the UK stock market will make you incrementally richer each year by holding onto them. Now, if this is all you ever do, it's going to be a bit of a rocky ride. The stock market does like to have corrections, as they like to call it, or just full-on collapses. That's the downside to only being invested in one asset class. If, for whatever reason, you are coming up to retirement and all of a sudden the stock market collapses by 50%, you've possibly just wiped out 10 years' worth of growth. And if you need to sell up at that point, you're fucked. The idea is then, if you can spread them around a little bit, if the stock market does fall by 50%, you've got another asset class somewhere else that's probably gone up. So it kind of balances it all out. That's starting to get into asset allocation and portfolio theory. That's what we're going to go on to once you've first started. And I find a lot of people are struggling just with this very first step. So that's why I just wanted to try and make it a little bit more practical as to how you do that. Let's say you follow what I did when I first started and you just get started with one fund, you set up, maybe you put a lump sum in, maybe you set up a standing order to pay in each month. That's it. You've now invested in the stock market. You've become an investor. Well done you. And once you've done that, that's when you can start looking at possibly other asset classes. So things like property, bonds, stuff like that. Or you can stick with shares and funds, but actually start looking at investing in other countries maybe or other sectors. As I've talked about, you've got the FTSE 100, the biggest 100. You might then say, well, okay, I've got the biggest ones. I'll now get the FTSE small cap or mid cap to get exposure to the small ones. They're 
potentially more likely to shoot up in value rather than the big ones. They've already pretty much made it. They're as big as they're going to get. So you might look at diversifying that way. But at that point, that's the stage when you absolutely either need to really know what you're doing. And so be reading all of the trade presses, probably on a weekly basis, getting daily emails off people to find out what's going on in the stock market, all that good stuff, or speaking to a professional and paying for their advice. The actual implementation of all this is dead easy. What you're paying for is someone to say, well, I think this is a good idea. You should probably go do that. So once you're at that stage, you are going to want to talk through your options and get someone to help you figure out what you can do and what you should do and what's going to be right for you. So quick wrap up of the episode. First of all, you need to be in a position to be able to save, say, a minimum of £50 a month. So if you're not there, work on that first. Once you're in the point of saving, you want to build yourself up this emergency fund. Talked about in the last episode, so I'm not going to bang on about that. Next up, you're going to set up, in the UK's case, an ISA account with an online broker. You're going to then want to start looking at paying in money on a monthly basis or a lump sum if you've got it, just to get yourself started. And then when you are starting, probably just focus on one simple, straightforward tracker. It's not going to set the world on fire. It's not going to be the best performing thing in the world, but it's a start. It's going to get you over that first hurdle, going to get you some hopefully momentum and inertia behind you. And you can then call yourself an investor, technically, depending on which one you buy, but you own sections of the economy in the UK. It's pretty fucking cool, huh? Once you're comfortable with that, just expand as you learn from there. Invest in new sectors, maybe new countries, new asset classes, whatever's right for you. So then, it's a brand new tax year. Off you go. Pull the trigger and actually do something. Tally-ho! So you just survived and hopefully enjoyed the money shot from Damien Fogg. If you just can't help yourself and you want even more, head over to the epinvestor.com forward slash podcast for the show notes, links to whatever shit he just talked about in this episode, possibly some exclusive content about cool finance stuff, and even maybe a free pony. 